Let me please encourage you to have your Bible open in 1 John and at the second chapter. And the theme this morning that John brings to our attention is for those who know God, their lives will be marked out by loving obedience to their God and their Saviour. True Christian believers, followers of Jesus Christ, we saw last week, undergo a great change. It's not a change which is or can be self-induced. You can't set about producing this change in yourself or to yourself. It occurs when God graciously transfers you out of the darkness in which you had always existed and places you into his light. Has God done that for you? And when that happens, kind of what Luke was talking about just before, when that happens, there will always be evidence for it having happened. Always. And the chief purpose of John's letter is that Christians might have assurance of their standing before God in Christ Jesus. There were in John's day, there have been in every day since, many ideas and claims and suggestions as to what a person needs to know, or more commonly, what a person needs to have experienced in order to say that they are a Christian. Many of those things are false, or at best, misleading. John wants to equate us with the truth on these issues. Ultimately, he wants you to know that you have eternal life, and to know that you may continue to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's verse 13 of chapter 5. Now, last week we saw that as Christian believers, we have a completely new walk, a new way of living. If you are truly in the light, you will walk as one who is in the light. And the first point that John makes is that your relationship with sin and your attitude to sin will undergo a drastic change as a believer. You will know only too well as a Christian that you are indeed a sinner. Whereas formerly, your sins were never really an issue to you. And as a Christian, you're aware of the constant battle that you're waging against sin in your life. But you may also have this wonderful assurance that all of those sins are covered by the blood of Christ. And your ongoing attitude is one of confession of sin before your God and Saviour, in the knowledge that he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. And that is your ongoing place before God. And so mindful of your ascended Saviour who intercedes on your behalf before the Father, the one who has made full satisfaction before God for the guilt and punishment that your sins deserve, the Christian may continue in assurance, growing in righteousness, 
pursuing holiness and doing away with their former sins. Now, on the opposite side of the coin, as it were, is the Christian's relationship to God's commandments. There is on the one side, having been set free from the old master, whilst at the same time, you've been brought under the authority of a new one, as a Christian. So we have verses 3 and 4 of 1 John 2. By this we know that we know God if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know God and does not keep his commandments, that person is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you know God's commandments, if you know God, you'll keep his commandments. It's the first point of two this morning. Now, on the face of it, those verses don't really need a lot of expounding, do they? They are pretty straightforward. Those verses mean what they say and they say what they mean. And in a sense, they shouldn't really need any expounding, but the reality is for all of us, they always do. They need fresh application into our lives day by day. Now, for some Christians, start talking about the need for believers to be obedient and they immediately start to feel very awkward. They fear that being a Christian will become nothing more than trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts, of being legalistic law keepers like the Pharisees. They fear that being a Christian, when we start talking about obedience, becomes about me trying to attain to a certain goal or level. They fear that any emphasis on obedience is somehow an attack on grace. Now, those things that they're fearful of, they are things of which we ought to be wary. But the answer to that fear when we talk about obedience is not to dismiss and ignore and explain away the need for Christians to be obedient. The answer is not to deny it. The answer is to understand it properly. And that's what John seeks to do. And that's what we're going to try and do this morning. To understand properly what John means when he says that if you know God your life will be marked out by obedience to his commandments. And this is a message which is consistent throughout the whole Bible. And I'm going to be mentioning a number of scriptures as we go through to show you that this isn't just one little thing that John has a hobby horse about. It's consistent throughout the whole Bible. If you have a real personal knowledge of God then such will be your love for him and such will be your reverence towards him and such will be the disposition of your heart and your mind before him, you will make it your aim to live your life in such a way as pleases him. Which means 
living according to his truth. Note the sequence of those verses in 1 John 2. You see there that keeping God's commandments, verse 3, is the same as the truth being in you, verse 4, is the same as keeping God's word, verse 5, is the same as walking as Jesus walked, verse 6. Alistair Begg put it very simply like this. Believing in Christ and belonging to Christ means behaving like Christ. That's it. And there was none more obedient than the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was sinless because his was a life of obedience to his Father. Now, we need to remember some important things. When you're saved, when you become a Christian, you receive a new nature and you receive a new mind. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 tells you that you have become a partaker of God's own nature. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 tells you that you now, Christian, have the mind of Christ. The nature of God and the mind of Christ has been put in you. Now, that, that, that's worth a conference all on its own. That's just that one thought, isn't it? The nature of God and the mind of Christ is in you. Christian believer. Wow. And it's in that new nature and it's with that new mind that you obey God's commandments. And it's because of that new nature and it's because of that new mind that you obey God's commandments. But it's nothing new. Go back to the Old Testament Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 33. Listen. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, where? In their minds. Why? So that they can be obedient. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. That's what we've just been thinking about from the New Testament scriptures. It's in the Old Testament. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. There you have it. Listen to Hosea chapter 4, the opening two verses. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God. In the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. In other words, the people have no knowledge of God, therefore, this is how they behave. 
Look around the UK today at how people are behaving. Look at Westminster and consider the laws that have been passed in Parliament in the last decade with respect to how people in this country may now live and behave. Why is it like that? It is because they have no knowledge of God. If they did, they would not do those things. Because with the knowledge of God comes obedience to his word. What is one of the key proofs that you as a Christian do know God? It's because you no longer behave like one who is in the darkness anymore, do you? You don't, not if you truly know God. You keep God's commands because you know him. Listen to Jesus in one chapter of John's Gospel. These verses are from John chapter 14. And these are, these are the words of Christ. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, do remember the keeping of them is based upon your love for him. Your keeping of them is because of your love for him. But there must be keeping of them. There must be. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear... The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, you see, it's on account of this that Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Why do you not run with the world anymore? You used to. Why have you stopped? Because your whole attitude to sin has now changed. And because the disposition of your heart and your mind has changed. It's not the old heart and mind that you have anymore. You've got the nature of God now. You have the mind of Christ now. You've changed. And because of that change, the kind of things that the psalmist says about the word of God and the truth of God and the law of God and the commands of God... The kinds of things that the psalmist says should resonate in our hearts as well. Here's a few verses from Psalm 119. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in it. How can anyone delight in the commandments of God? Well, it's as if they've got that new nature and that new mind that comes from knowing him. The psalmist goes on, therefore, I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, even fine gold. I love them. Direct my steps by your word. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. 
This is the response of one who has the new heart and mind that God gives when we come to Christ. Now, it's interesting going into the New Testament because I want to show you this is, this is throughout the whole of the Scriptures. When Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, what did Paul say to Timothy are the main purposes of the Scriptures? Now, if I asked you to write down on a piece of paper, what is the main purpose of the Bible? I wonder what you'd say. Well, what did Paul say to Timothy is the main purpose of the Scriptures? He gave four things, just four words. Doctrine, that means teaching. Reproof, correction, and instruction. Now, those words seem to me to have a lot to do with obedience, don't they to you? Teaching, reproof, correction, instruction. Why? Because God wants to be obedient. He wants us to be obedient to him. We need this in our lives. In that same letter, what did Paul say to Timothy are the three main things that preaching should achieve? Well, now, here's a hot potato of a topic, preaching. What, what should preaching produce in the hearer? What should Timothy have in mind as he preaches? Three things are mentioned. Listen. Convince. Rebuke. Well, we don't like that. We don't like to be rebuked. But Paul says to Timothy, that's one of, the th one of the three things that preaching should do. It should rebuke people and exhort. Convince, rebuke, exhort. Now, it seems to me that those three things, they have a lot to do with people being obedient, don't they? We need those things. We need to hear those kinds of truths so that we can apply them into our lives and with our new nature and with the new mind that we have we should receive those things gladly we should long for them show me what I need to do more show me what I need to do next show me what I need to put right so that I might live a life pleasing to my God and Saviour that should be burning within us all now, we've seen already in our studies in this letter that none of us can claim to be without sin. And so for that reason, none of us can ever claim this side of heaven to have perfect obedience. But to claim that you know God and to have no regard for obedience, to have no regard for keeping God's commandments means... Verse 4, you are a liar. That's, that's quite harsh, but it's the truth. If you claim that you know God, but you have no regard towards obedience to him, you do not know God. No matter how much you might claim that you do, no matter how much you might protest that you know God, if the evidence is not there. And dear Christian friends, 
when you look at verse 5, you see that as your life conforms more and more to God's truth and to Christ's example, the more clear it is that God's love is being established in you. The Bible puts love for God and obedience together many times. Love for God and obedience to him go hand in hand for one who is a follower of Christ. And in these things you will know that you are abiding in Christ. Now the important thing to remember in all of this is that it's not so much about the level to which you have attained. The key thing is the direction that you're going in. The key thing is the disposition of your heart and your mind in all of these things. It's not a competition. We're not in competition with each other here. But we're encouraging one another to be more and more like the Saviour, to be more and more obedient, to be more and more pleasing to the God who we love and serve. And so when you're confronted with the truth of God's word, your immediate response and desire is to be obedient to it. Because you love him. And you want to serve him. And you want to be right before him. When you're confronted with the temptation to sin, your deeper desire is to be obedient. And that will help you to fight that temptation. So in your home life, let's make... Let's make this practical. In your home life, as a husband or a wife who claims to know God, submission and unconditional love will reign supreme in your marriage, as will sexual fidelity and faithfulness, because that's being obedient to what God wants from a husband or a wife. You parents who claim to know God, you will raise your children to know him and you'll teach them the things of God from the word. You'll teach them how to pray. You'll explain to them the gospel. You will not provoke them unduly. You will discipline them when they disobey because to do all of those things is to be obedient. As an employer or as an employee or as a student who claims to know God, you will be exemplary in your conduct, your attendance, your punctuality, your work ethic, your integrity, your reliability, your dependability, fairness, consideration, all of those things. Why? Because they're the kind of characteristics that God wants to see in one who is his child. This new mind and nature being lived out in you. What about all the responsibilities and duties that you have as a member of the church? In terms of serving, in terms of ministering one to another, in terms of using your gifts within the fellowship, in terms of being in attendance whenever the church is gathered for worship or for prayer, financial support, being hospitable, the list goes on. In all of those things, you'll be obedient. Why? Not because some elder's standing at the front thumping the pulpit, but because you know God and you want to please him and you want to be obedient to him because he's given you a new nature and a new heart to live that way. 
In all of these things, if your claim is that you know God, you will keep his commandments. That's the teaching of John. You walk as Christ walked. Why? Because you can't help it. That's who you are now. If you truly know God. Now, these words, I believe, on the one hand, yes, they're given to challenge Christian believers. Uh, and if you need rebuking in some of these areas, well, they're given to rebuke you, yes. But I also believe they're, even more than that, given to bring great encouragement and assurance that you may know that you know God. You can say, yes, I'm, I'm a long way from being perfect in all of these things. But that is the direction that I know I'm walking in. That is the way I feel about these things. I know that that is the disposition of my heart and that is the disposition of my mind. And I know I fail the Lord. Oh, how often I fail him. Too often I fail him. But I know that I can come before him and confess all my sins. He's faithful, he'll just, he's just, he'll forgive me my sins. I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness and on we go. And that's the direction I'm going. And that's the disposition within me now. Because I have been born again. I have been made new in Christ. This is, this is the real life of being a Christian. You're not perfect yet. You and I can see loads of failings in both of us, can't we? But we know that we're not the lost and hopeless sinners that we used to be. We are found and hopeful sinners who are learning and growing in the light and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one second point, which is from the final five verses of this section, which is verses 7 to 11. And John introduces here another aspect of Christian living, which must also be in evidence if your profession of faith is genuine. And that is of love. I think it's very helpful that as we've been thinking about keeping God's commandments, we're also reminded that this element of love must also be there. It helps to keep checks and balances, doesn't it? It helps to keep things in the right proportion in our lives. And we don't get too focused on the one and ignore the other. Love must reign supreme also in the life of the Christian. If you're in the light, you'll love your brother or your sister. Hate belongs in the darkness. Love is in the light. Now, this is not to say, of course, that those who are in darkness know absolutely nothing about love. Of course they do. But too often, that love is corrupted. And it's weak. And there are sinful thoughts and sinful passions and sinful desires. And in the darkness, love often proves to be unfaithful. 
many have found and do find when they're in the darkness that the love that they have lacks the depth and the power to be able to forgive. And instead, they're overcome by bitterness and malice and recriminations. But not so one who knows God. Where the world would find itself hating, the person who knows God has the capacity now to love and to forgive and to seek to restore and to be a peacemaker. Because you have a new nature. You have a new mind. And you can love like you never used to be able to. Many, of course, have noted that in John, at verse 7, says that he's not writing something new. And then in verse 8, says that he is. Uh, is he confused in his old age? Because he was an old man when he wrote this. No, he's, he wasn't confused. So let me explain those two statements so that you won't be confused either. How is it that can, John can say in one verse... Uh, this, is, this is not something new. And then in the next verse say it is something new. Well, on the one hand, this message of love, one for the other, of course, is not a new message. Jesus, of course, summarised the second part of the Ten Commandments as love your neighbour as yourself. But when he said that, that wasn't something that he just thought up on the spare of the moment. In New Testament days, he was actually quoting from the book of Leviticus, from chapter 19. So, let's just think about this. This is the, way, this is the sense in which this is not a new thing. This is an old thing that John is talking about. Uh, Leviticus 19, we'll start at verse 15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honour the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbour. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbour. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Because even there, you're guilty of murder, you know. Jesus said that. See, all, all the things he said, they're all based on, on existing truths from the Old Testament because God's truth is constant and enduring and everlasting. You shall surely rebuke your neighbour and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. Love and obedience going together, even in the Old Testament scriptures. So it's an old commandment, but it's a new one. And it's a new commandment in the sense which John puts it. And it's a new commandment in the sense that Jesus put it before him. When John recorded in chapter 13 of his gospel... These words of Jesus, love one another as I have loved you. 
this is how people will know that you are my disciples. And in uh, 1 John 2, uh, we read there, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Verse 7, I write no new commandment, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. Verse 8, a new commandment, uh, I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Which thing is true in Christ and in you. And the thing that makes it a new commandment is that you now are in Christ And you see, it's an old commandment, but it comes with a fresh vitality. It comes with a fresh application. It comes with a new power and a new impetus. Because you now, as a Christian, are in Christ. And that makes all the difference. When taken only as an instruction, and when viewed from the position of the darkness, love one another, that's impossible. We can't do it. When it comes to loving one another, never in the field of human relationships has so little been shown by so few to so many to misquote a famous man. Because we can't do it in the darkness. But to those who are in the light, to those who are in Christ, to those who know God and have known God's love for them, to those who have this truth in them, verse 8, just as it was in Christ, this commandment to love and not to be found hated, it comes afresh and it's new and it's vital for us. It takes on a whole new meaning and we have a whole new capacity by which we may embrace it now because we're in Christ It's as if we've never really heard it before. It's the first time we've ever really wanted to consider it now. It's the first time we've ever been in a position to be able to do something about it. Now that I'm in Christ. And so it becomes new. Because I can actually actually deal with this this command now. Something I can do about it now. Because I'm in Christ. And there's a very interesting statement at the end of verse 10. Loving your brother... And abiding in the light, they go hand in hand and there'll be no cause of stumbling in him. The Greek word translated as stumble is the word from which we get the word scandal. You won't do anything scandalous as a Christian, either to yourself or to your brother. Living in the light of the gospel of Christ, living in God's light, living in God's truth, displaying God's love is a secure place and an assured place for the Christian. Being able to love as you ought to love in truthfulness, with compassion, with forgiveness, without seeking something in return, to be able to prefer others before yourself, to look at the good And to be kind and long-suffering with people, regardless of the bad. To refuse to keep a record of wrongs that you can dig up again in the future when it suits you. You don't do that as a believer. To refuse to tittle-tattle about other people's shortcomings from the top of the pedestal that you've put yourself on. 
and to refuse to listen to anybody who wants to come to you and tittle-tattle to you about them. No, because love reigns supreme in the heart and the mind of one who knows God truly. This is a path which if you walk it, you will not stumble and you will not be a cause of stumbling to others either. Jesus never caused anyone to stumble. Think about that for a moment. Jesus never caused anyone to stumble. Now, sometimes he did reveal painful truths. Sometimes he caused individuals to acknowledge painful truths about themselves. Remember the rich young ruler who went away very sad? Jesus didn't didn't cause him to stumble. He simply revealed a truth that was already there. Sometimes Jesus caused people to reveal their true colours. People like the scribes and the Pharisees. He didn't cause them to stumble. He just made them show themselves for who they really were. But for anyone who was heading in the right direction, he never caused them to stumble, not once. Jesus was never a hindrance to anyone who was truly seeking after God. He was never a hindrance to someone who was following after God and walking in God's ways. And neither must we be. And neither will we be if we truly know God and if we're truly walking in the light. In the light, in the truth, in his love. John wants to assure you about your remaining and continuing in true obedience to the word of God just like Jesus did and loving just like Jesus loved. Now you'll have plenty of failures that other people might point to but if those failures are truly confessed then they are surely forgiven and if these things are the deepest longing of your heart then by this you have full assurance that you do know God that his truth is in you and that you are in him well may he convince us of these wonderful things and might we continue in the light as he is light